I have the great pleasure of having Nick Moselock on the program today as we talk about strategies of infusing creativity in the math classroom, questioning to guide learning and infusing social issues and culturally responsive topics. I'm so excited to talk about his podcast and all of the many wonderful things he's doing with his students every single day. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Nick, thank you so much for being on the Aspire Podcast. Joshua, thank you so much for having me on, being on the other side of the mic today. Uh, I'm really excited to, to chat to all things creative math and and leadership in the classroom with you for sure and we've been connected on social media and i'm so excited about our conversation and and you kind of touched on a couple topics that we're going to be speaking on this evening but before we get into those i would love to learn a little bit about your educational and leadership journey so i'm a 12-year veteran uh, classroom teacher in uh, the calgary board of education here in alberta canada my leadership journey, ah, uh, man, I think if you would have asked me that 12 years ago, I, I don't know if I would have uh, guessed, you know, where I am today. I'm currently part of the administration team at my school as the Div 3 learning leader. So I, I don't want to say I'm in charge, but it's I kind of look after the junior high team, also the math subject learning leader. So I work with everyone in the school it's been something that I've uh, really grown into as something I've always wanted to do. Hopefully one day I can be a system specialist in my board, uh, in my district. And uh, that would be kind of a goal for me. And, and I see every, every school and every teacher that I work with as part of that journey towards, you know, something bigger for me. You know, I try and learn from everyone that I work with, no matter what they teach. And because everyone brings something to a team and, and I think good leaders need to know what each person brings to that team and, and take that with you to the next stop on your journey to wherever it is you want to go. So yeah, 12 years in different positions. And uh, right now I'm in grade eight, grade nine math science and and the learning leader of my team. And I'm loving it. Well, you brought it up earlier about creativity in the classroom. And I want to know how are you doing that each day with your students, bringing a little bit of creativity to the math class? I think creativity is one of the best classroom management tools that we can use with our kids. I honestly, I can't even, I can't even tell you the last time I sent a kid to the office or got administration involved with an issue that I had in my classroom. I think, you know, creativity and engagement go hand in hand. Um, You know, we're not their cruise director. It's not always about just how much fun we can have, but I do think that you know, the more creative we can be, you know, just by default, hopefully more, the more fun we'll have in the class. And, and I really do that in a few different ways by bringing in as much real life application to the math that we can. I do that by storytelling. I try and bring in indigenous ways of learning, which is a really big initiative with my district, those stories behind the math. Um, The things that I think we see every day, but sometimes don't realize is math. And uh, I think showing kids that, you know, these things are happening around us. I think asking questions that are worth solving. 
I think for a really long time in math, we've given questions to answer. And not that that isn't important. Obviously, we want to work towards understanding and getting answers. But I think if we can focus on the process when it comes to being creative, that creativity can be that anchor for all of that work. And I think there's so many different ways that you can do it. I like to compare things. Would you rather type questions? You know, what stands out? Questions that I think a lot of people would see as warm-up questions before getting into just like, okay, here are the questions. Let's sit and answer them. There's so many ways to be creative and they don't have to be really big flashy things. They can be doing group work, changing up the way that we're sitting in the class, asking fewer questions. I think we get really hung up on asking a lot of questions in math. And I don't think that's always good learning. It, I mean, I think for a long time, it's felt like, oh, well, if we got a lot done, that's good learning. But to me, I've kind of gotten to a place in my career where I'm like, can I ask one question? And we do that the whole time. I, to me, you know, if we can do that, I think creativity is the anchor to doing a lot of that. Okay, I have so much to unpack in what you said. <laughs> I'm super excited right now. All right, so I want to go back to what you were talking about with engagement equals fun, right? Like I, I think there's this perception in that you got to have a song and dance, you got to be dressing up, you got to have like, I think you said a cruise director of some sort. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, where's the activities? So, you know, what is what does true engagement look like in the classroom where it doesn't always have to be the bells, the whistles, the confetti. Not that the kids can't have fun, but yeah. you know, what is like true engagement that you're trying to make happen every single day? I think true engagement is when you pose a question, whether it's to your colleagues in a PD or the students in front of you, sometimes even the parents. I do like I like to do a problem of the week that I send home. Nice. And I think true engagement is when you look at a problem. And you just sit there and you're like, huh, I need to know the answer. Not what is the answer. I want to know how to get to that answer. And I think that's when you know you've hit really good, deep engagement. When it's not necessarily like a big song and dance. It's always fun. It's these big bells and whistles, which sometimes it is. Because sometimes you got to like pull them in. Yeah, definitely. And you got to like hook them. But I think engagement is when you pose a problem. And the kids are like, I need to know now. Like, I, I'm sorry, but like, we're not, we're not done until we get to the, to the end of this. I think that's where, when I talk about doing one problem and when I can do one problem for an entire 60 minute period, I know I've hit engagement because the kids don't come up to you and they're like, what's next? What are we doing next? What's my next? They might ask like what the next step is, but they're not like, where's the next question? Because good questions and good engagement lead to more inquiry and diving deeper into work. So I think when you pose a question and the room is quiet and then boom, they get into the work, that's when you know you have really good engagement. And, and that can come in, in a, a bunch of different forms. You know, I really like to do this when I do shapes and space. I know in the US, it's more of like a, a geometry type. We go with like shapes and space here in Canada. So whether that's volume or surface area, like for instance, I might say, okay, we're working on volume. You need to make a cube with a certain amount of volume. And, and they understand that because the sides of the cube are all the same. So that's a really good place to start. But then I say to them, okay, 
Now you need to make a rectangular prism to go with that cube. They have to look different. You can't use any of the same numbers, but they have to have the same volume. So immediately the kids are thinking like, they're starting to picture it. They're starting to get wheels turning. Do I make the rectangle first? Do I make the cube first? The cube might be easier. And then you go to the rectangle and then you do that with like, okay, well now what's a cylinder? Can you do that with a cylinder? Now you've got a circle and you're throwing in other shapes. And so a good question, and I, I really like to compare things where it's like, make them the same or make them close or make them super far apart and building. I think engagement, the more we can get our hands on the learning, the better. So whether that's, you know, making nets or, you know, I'm, I'm right into Pythagorean theorem right now with my eights and, um, you know, we can sit there and we can do this on paper all we want, but until you go out into the real world, like, um, there's a polytechnic uh, college, like literally across the street from our school. So we're going to go over this week and we're going to do a tour of the campus. It's an older school. So there's parts that are brand new and there's parts that are almost a hundred years old. And we're going to look at, is this building, is this campus accessible for people in, you know, wheelchairs and walkers and strollers and other mobility issues. And we're going to bring in Pythagorean into that work to say, well, look, these stairs up to this main hall looks like an old building. Doesn't look like there's a ramp. Um, you have to construct a ramp to code or at least come up with like the plans for it using Pythagorean. And they're going to bring measuring tapes and they're going to draw things and they're going to take pictures. And I think when you present work that is like you want to get to an answer, you have the desire to actually complete the work to get to an answer, but also like there's a creating part to it too. Um, I go back to my shapes in space where it's like, you know, the volume of cube, the volume of a rectangular prism. I never told them what the volume had to be. They just had to make it. And then sometimes I'll put those restrictions in, for instance, like, I, again, I just finished. So there'll be a lot of examples from shapes in space, <laughs> but I took a piece of poster paper and some of the poster paper I cut vertically in half. And then some of the poster paper I cut horizontally in half. So they had to choose between, do you want to use the vertical half or the horizontal half? First, they have to choose. So there's the first restriction. Then they need to take that piece of paper and make the largest container they can. Because on that Friday, I was going to kind of have a fun day and watch a Nat Geo movie. And then we were going to have a popcorn day. But the container they made needed to hold as much popcorn as they could as they could right now i never told them what like there's no right or wrong answer there's just an exploration of like what did you do did you make a cube did you make a cylinder so it was kind of like a culminating task within that unit where like i was actually really curious if i said you can have as much popcorn as you want but you only get one container like what would you do with that paper first what paper are you choosing the long one or the shorter one, they're both half, what's your rationale? So now that they, now they're engaging in it in a way that like tells me like, what's the thinking behind it? Not just like, I, I actually don't care. There's no answer. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm looking for them to engage in a problem that they have to create within my restrictions. And, and that I think is another really big part 
of good engagement. It's not necessarily focused on an answer. It's focused on process and the requirements or parameters of the work that I give them. All right. So I want to dive into the topic of questioning because you've, you've mentioned a couple times. So I love the f- fact that you're giving so many different questions and, and giving restrictions and some guidelines for them. And it's, it's very open-ended with the, the creativity piece. But I also like what you were talking about with giving questions just to start the lesson. You know, totally. times, you know, and I, I'm guessing your experience as a student was this way too, is when you came into math class, you realized that you were going to get about 30 minutes worth of instruction from your, from your teacher with, like you said, a ton of volume of questions. And you were just going to, you know, try and take in all this information so that you can replicate it later. And for you, you're talking about, you know, all of this inquiry based piece where the students are, you know, able to present questions. And I just want to know, how are you guiding they're learning through questioning at the beginning of the lesson instead of at the end. Okay. So I think it's important to think about what topic you're teaching too, because there are going to be some topics where you're like, I kind of need to give you a little bit. I'm going to kind of put you out there. You're going to come back with questions and then I'm going to give you a little bit more. And then you're going to come back with quite, and we kind of just build. And then There are units where I will say towards the end of units, you're giving kind of those deeper, more open, maybe more restrictive, more open, depending on what you're doing, tasks. But then there are units where I'm going to like, I'm going to just throw you right into the deep end and I'm going to see if you can swim, but I'm going to be right beside you. And by doing that, you're going to actually come to me with questions that I probably would have explained in instructions if I front end load it, but because I kind of threw you into it, now you're coming back with like, well, hey, Mr. M, I don't know exactly what we're doing, but I noticed when we got to this point, this popped up or this problem came, came up. And then someone else will be like, oh, hey, we noticed that too. Like, why did that happen? And then someone over there will be like, well, we did this to get around it, but I don't know if that's right. And so I think group discussion is key. I think the other thing with what you've asked is that group work plays a really, really big part in in this type of learning. I think sometimes we front end load too much in math and we tell them too much at the beginning. And now we've taken that, we've taken that thinking out of their, out of their minds because They know we're just going to tell them what to do. Then they're going to take that info and then they're going to apply it. We do our best learning as human beings. We do our best learning in any form when we come across problems, but we need to know how to solve that problem. So we will come up with better questions and our students will come up with better questions when we give them problems and then they have to ask us questions about where they're stuck or how they move forward. Because if we just constantly front end load all that thinking, we might be thinking, but they're not now. Whoever's doing the talking is doing the learning. Yep. So yeah, it's a, it's a big question. It's a really big question. But I do think there are there's a fine line between ex- instructing too much and then not enough. It's like, it's that balance. Because sometimes yeah. I've given... Sometimes I've given them work and I'm like, oh, okay, that was too much. I better give them a little bit more. And then there's times where I throw them in and it is like, it's amazing what they come up with. So I think if it's a topic that they've had some experience with, like in previous grades, 
you can you can have that more like here's the problem come back to me in 20 minutes and come back with good questions and then there are some things where it's like you know when i teach my grade nines you know exponent laws i kind of have to front end load that because it's procedure it's very procedure heavy not saying i can't be creative with a with a difficult topic like that though this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So you talked about social issues, and I thought the creating the ramp for the building, that's very practical. I mean, obviously, students are going to want to find a solution for that, and I love that piece. But I also want to talk about you know, just the the cultural responsive lens, you know, how do you incorporate that into your lessons? Um, What are some key concepts that you're trying to hone in on beyond just the social issues? I think being a culturally responsive teacher is, I think, I think we're going to be hearing more and more about it in the coming years. I think it's something that we keep seeing issues pop up on things like Instagram and Twitter or Facebook of teachers doing things in classrooms and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, what are you, why you can't say things like that. You can't do things like that. And, you know, being culturally responsive comes in two forms, the culture that is in your classroom that you work to create and that the kids bring to the classroom and understanding that kids bring things like family issues to our classroom. They bring community issues to our classroom in Calgary in the last few years, like many places, we have been a home to many Syrian refugees because of the conflict there. They bring a cultural aspect to our classroom too. And we have to be aware of what those students bring to our class. The other thing when it comes to being culturally responsive is that we can bring other cultures thinking and perspective into our classroom. Even if it's not my culture, I can do that in a very respectful and honoring way. And it's, it's something that we've been really working on in our district with indigenous ways of learning and, and bringing in knowledge of the land in a variety of different ways. And that can be overwhelming for some people. It's still for me, I'm still trying to get better at that. But I think talking to experts, choosing lessons that you can feel comfortable entering, asking for help. You know, I did a lesson just recently with, it was a, a UPIC Indigenous lesson. So the UPIC is an Indigenous group in Alaska. And it's amazing. They have this, this elder on this, this YouTube page who shares all these amazing stories and lessons. And it worked so perfectly going into my Pythagorean lesson where she teaches the kids how to make a perfect square using the middle knuckle on your finger called the tuknuk. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, because now what the cool thing about that is that is that typically from a Western perspective, our knuckle, we wouldn't probably consider that a standard measurement. Right. But to the UPIC people, that is standard to their body. And they use that knuckle as a measuring device in order to make every shape imaginable. And I did this lesson on how to make a square with no ruler or any measuring device. And the accuracy of the squares at the end of this thing blew my mind. The kids were blown away. And because they're perfectly proportional, our fingers, our whole bodies 
and it brings in proportions and then it also brings in fractions and it brings in uh, someone else's point of view from a culture that maybe they hadn't heard of before. I mean, I hadn't heard of this particular group, but it was so exciting to bring that in and bring it into the classroom in a way that wasn't like, I'm teaching you this. This is, it was me facilitating another perspective for my kids to see. And it was really cool. And I think we can do, I can think we can do even more of that in the future. I know we're talking about a ton of topics. I love what you're talking about. And the indigenous learning, I actually wrote that down. I'm so glad that you talked about that. Um, I love that you're incorporating that into your classroom. And I think there's so much value in that. I also want to talk about something that you're passionate about, which is escape rooms. I know there's a lot of different ways to do that. From myself, I love puzzles. Me and my son um, just went to an escape room not too long ago. We solved it, so we were super proud of ourselves in the nick of time. But it's such a fun activity. I, I just wonder how you you know, put those together for your own class. They're big. So, <laughs> yes. again, they're, they're, they're a lot of work. I think um, – I see, I personally see escape rooms as kind of culminating. They say with project-based learning, it should be main course and not dessert. But I think escape rooms kind of have to be dessert a little bit. Otherwise, uh, they will be all consuming. So, you know, finding that time and just saying like, listen, this week, like I just did one with my grade nines and it was the week before spring break. And I just said to them, listen, we're going to do this this week. We're going to kind of take a kind of take a break from like really, you know, hardcore learning and uh, uh, we're going to make an escape room and they blew me away and we chunked it and we separated the work. You know, we made different groups. We had like the puzzle group and we had the art group and we had the story group and we had the decor and, and, and then we had other people that were just like, you know, I had one group that was filming and, and um, recording the whole project and, you know, chunking it, having a story. The kids came up with a story. It was a space theme, Mars spaceship theme. It was actually really cool. I wasn't expecting them to do a space theme. I thought that was interesting, a a good choice. And they weave that story in. And then, you know, you see kids' strengths and we really like compartmentalize the work. I had one kid blew me away. I didn't know he was so into music. And one kid made the soundtrack for the whole escape room. And not just like he made a couple minutes and then looped it. He made the whole 20 minute music for the whole escape room on GarageBand. I didn't even know he had that in him. That's incredible. And then I have, it's amazing. And so, and then I had kids that were the puzzle group kids and they made five or six puzzles that went throughout the room and they weave them into the story. And then the story people were making like they would make like little cue cards with like clues along the way. And uh, I think escape rooms can be in a really, really cool way to say, hey, we've done these units so far. I linked it more to math than science, I would say. But I said, listen, these are the, these are the units that we've hit. I'd like to see some questions from each, you know, four or five of them from, I think we, at that point, we had done five or six units to date. And I was like, I want to see a question from each unit somehow weave that into the, into the work because I want to see what they can create. I think that's another really important part of engagement is asking kids what they can create from what they've learned. That tells you a lot about what they can do. If you ever looking for a tip, you know, forget a test, ask them what they can make at the end of a unit, what kind of questions they can make. And uh, yeah, no escape rooms are, and they're fun. And I think it was like the perfect time with the kids you don't ever want to burn kids out in the no. middle of the year 
And I think it was a great way to be like, you know what? It was the week before spring break. Let's just have a little bit of fun. Uh, the, the final project, the final product was blew me away. It was phenomenal. And it just, it was fun to see kids work with each other on a lot of like soft skills mm-hmm. that I think are so important yeah. that we, we overlook when we're like doing math and science, I think. Nick, as far as leadership skills, you know, for our aspiring leaders, if someone is thinking about enhancing their leadership skills tomorrow or next week, what can they do to get a little bit better each day? I think asking tough questions about your own actions and your own process, I think are key. I think sometimes as hard as it is, it's, it is difficult to ask for feedback that you might not want to hear. And sometimes you get good feedback and sometimes you get feedback that is tough. But I think when we can be honest with ourselves about our own reflection, I think that's really key. I think it's important to show our vulnerabilities with our kids. I think for too long, teachers have been, you know, the sage on the stage and, you know, kind of cloak and dagger about who they are. And I think if we can show kids and our colleagues our vulnerabilities, they actually like us more. They respect us more than when we try to hide those things. So at the end of units, I really sit down with kids and say, like, what did I do well? Like what I can tell you what you did well and where you need to grow. Where do you think I need to grow? And, you know, you ask kids to be constructive because you're constructive with them. And this can be in an interview or on a Google form. I typically do them on Google forms because I think kids kind of feel more comfortable writing things out. And I ask for feedback. Like, what do you think I did well? What do you think I need to do better? And I think, you know, another step that someone can take really, really easily is asking more questions than you give answers. I think as leaders, I think we're, we always think we have to have the answer and that's not true. I, I don't have, I don't have a lot of answers. Sometimes I have a way more questions than I have answers. And I think, I think that falls back into the vulnerability with, you know, I don't have all the answers. I might have some more questions. And if you have more questions and we can work on this together and just cause I'm like, you know, quote unquote, the leader um, doesn't mean that we can't do this together. And, and, and I'll be by their side when they need that help, whether it's my colleagues or uh, my students, I think also reading books that uh, inspire you. I think reading things that light our fire uh, is really important. So for me, it's like, things like reading stuff like, you know, all of Simon Sinek's work. I just, I love his stuff. His latest one, The Infinite Game. If you haven't read it, uh, it's one of those things that will put, I think, teaching into a lot of perspective. And it's a long game and education's a long game. Sure. You're not going to solve it all tomorrow, right? No, too large of a ship to steer. <laughs> it, it takes a long time for sure. For those who are listening, maybe they've heard some strategies, some techniques, and they want to connect with you on social media. How may they do that? Really the best way to get a hold of me, kind of follow what I'm doing is on Instagram. That's probably the one platform I'm on the most. Um, You know, I'm out there talking about my podcast as well, but, uh, you know, I put a lot of um, really awesome. Well, I think it's awesome. I try to make it awesome and, and creative math stuff on there for all ages. So you can find me at ready set growth podcast on Instagram. 
that's probably the number one way to find me. Um, I actually just posted some really great stuff in the last few weeks using dominoes and math. Anything I've done that I've talked about with you today, you can you can find that on Instagram. I've got pictures of all that stuff and old stories. And if you want to see my UPIC hand measuring lesson, it's on there and uh, lots of great stuff, man. And I'm always willing to connect with anyone who if someone has a question on like, hey, I'm doing this in this unit, what are your thoughts? Like, I'll get to you. Oh, most definitely. So, you know, I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about your podcast because you just brought it up. So I'm so glad you did. So the Ready, Set, Growth podcast, if someone is looking for a quick show to listen to, to get some strategies, like what is it that you're talking about? Why did you create it in the first place? Oh, man. Well, it was actually right before uh, COVID happened sure. two years, two, three years ago, whatever. First season of <laughs> forever se- <ago. laughs> COVID season one. Okay. And I told my wife, I was like, no, I'm going to start a podcast. And she was like, okay. All right. I was like, no, I'm doing this. I love podcasting. I'm going to talk about teaching. I'm going to find awesome people to talk to. So I try and find, um, you know, kind of everyday teachers doing awesome things that I'm like, I need to know more about this. I'm like, I found it. It's cool. I want to share this out. Um, and then I have people, you know, everyday teachers in the classroom to Ivy League professors to, you know, people like Robert Kaplinsky and Dan Finkel and Pam Harris, um, all amazing people in the math world. Um, there's so many, so many great guests. Um, there's a topic for everyone. Um, I've got a really great leadership episode called Leadership is Language with David Marquet. Phenomenal. Um, and I think that's been one of the coolest parts about having a podcast is, you get to talk to some really cool people. Like, you know, Josh, you get to talk to some really great people and, sure. and it's, it's just fun. It's, it's really cool. Best PD out there, right? I mean, that's what I think. It's, you know, kind of selfishly, there's days where I'm like, wow, I never thought I'd talk to someone like Robert Kaplinsky. And he picked up the phone and we talked for, you know, an hour or Trevor McKenzie, who's amazing with inquiry. And, mm-hmm. and now those people are in my, teaching network, which is really cool. So, um, you know, if listening thinks that they have someone or they, they themselves would like to talk, reach out to me and we'll, we'll set something up. Definitely connect with Nick, check out his podcast. He's got a wealth of knowledge and I'm going to have all of those links in the show notes. So make sure that you're doing all of those different things. Nick, you're doing such an amazing job. Love connecting with you on Instagram, seeing all the you know, fantastic things you're doing with your students each and every day. You are making a difference, my friend. So thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And that's, those are really kind words. I really appreciate that, man.